Hello, welcome to Horror Culture. I shiver the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it is the final episode of this year's Halloween Classics Month. Yep, for 2022. We got five this year, didn't we? We did. We did indeed. Bonus one. This is the final one. It is. And uh, we ended it on a banger. A film that probably doesn't come to mind when you think of Halloween classics, but as of every season, you know, every season needs a good date movie. And this is the Halloween (laughs) classics equivalent of a date movie. Yeah, uh, a phrase we've thrown around a lot this October is. Um, gateway horror, and this is definitely not a gateway horror film. No, this might, this might, this one might even shock, and and, and has shocked the most seasoned of of horror fans. Uh, this is Audition from nineteen ninety nine, directed by Takashi Miike, uh, who is such a prolific director. He's made over, I believe, over one hundred and fifty films. Now we're on. Uh, he's made the likes of Gozu, 13 Assassins, Itchy the Killer, Visitor Q, Happiness of the Katakuris, One Miss Call, Terraformers, The Dead or Alive trilogy, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, and he's probably making three as we speak. He probably is. <laughs> um, I, we haven't seen a single bad film by Takashi Miike so far. No, I suppose the um, the odds are in his favour. I'm not sure if all 150 have made their way, way over to the UK. No. But from what we've seen, we've enjoyed, definitely. Yeah, he has a very unique style um, where you kind of have to look out for it at times, but that, that little signature Mike thing is always in each of his films. Um, they're never... They're, they're always a little off. They're never what they see. Yeah. I find with... And not to give too much away of our interpretation of the film, but I find... In comparison to the other films that we've seen of his, this is, despite the reputation, mm. the most low-key. Really, for, overall. For about for an the hour. Whole running for time, about an hour and 20 minutes of runtime. Yeah, yeah, it's a slow burn. You know, it's not gateway horror, because it is a slow burn. It's not all there from the get-go, whereas a lot of the films of his that we've watched... Are there from the very start? Yeah, there's there's some intention behind that. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. This was written by Daisuke Tengan, uh, who wrote Thirteen Assassins, Waiting in the Dark, The Eel, The Most Beautiful Night in the World, Red Queen, Blood, and more. And based on a novel by Ryu Murakami, who wrote Love and Pop, Kyoko, Tokyo Decadence, uh, Raffles Hotel, It's All Right My Friend, Almost Tra- Transparent Blue, and more. Uh, Takeshi Miike felt that the book was a love letter to a woman, so the script was made as a reply from that same woman. It's given me um, Frankie. Yeah. And what was the award? What was Fuck the, you right she, back. Fuck you right back. What was she oh, called? God. What was her name? It's like Pearl or something. Yeah. Uh, or uh, Beautiful Girls by Sean Kingston and uh, the Beautiful Boys song as well. What? Do you not remember that? No. Yeah, that was a thing. No, I just remember uh, Fuck You Right Back. No, no, they have oh. one with beautiful girls as well. Um, Why did that need a... I mean, the original song didn't need to exist, but anyway. Um, budget, $250,000, and it was made at a box office, $359,853. Alright. Is um, that in worldwide? America, worldwide. Worldwide. Oh, worldwide. worldwide. Yeah. Oh. Um, 
this was very big on the festival circuit. That's where it gained its cult reputation. Uh, I actually have some trivia here that I can't really fit into the rest of the film. Um, so I'm just going to read it out now. When it. when the film was screened at the Rotterdam Film Festival in 2000, it had a record number of walkouts. One woman who had actually sat through the entire film immediately walked out of the ensuing Q&A session, passed the stage and hissed, you're sick at Takeshi Miike, much to his amusement and delight. At the Swiss premiere, someone passed out and needed emergency room attention. Um, now, like I said about The Exorcist earlier this month, this is another one of those films where I actually get it. I, I, I get the walkouts, I get the uh, passing out and stuff, because this is fucking extreme uh, when it gets going. And I think, it, I kind of feel like it's more extreme because of the slow burn. So, I mean, just to, to put it out there now, you know, I've mentioned a lot on this podcast about um, coincidence heavy horror, coincidental horror. Horror films that start off as another genre and then eventually turn into a horror film. This is a prime example of that. This is very much one half twisted romantic drama um, and another half horror film. Yeah, it's and also kind of twisted from today's perspective. Yeah. To a certain degree. If you had Matthew McConaughey mm. in the main role and it was played out like a comedy yeah. in the year 2003, mm -hmm. they wouldn't really have batted an eyelid. No. You know, this no. whole idea of auditioning, faking an audition for a prospective love interest. Mm actually could have been a comedy in yeah. the early 2000s yeah. Yeah. it actually could have been and the film plays out like a romantic drama for the mm. first part i could imagine and i've only ever seen this film knowing full well what happens mm. at the end knowing full well that it's a horror film and something horrific is going to happen at some point could you imagine just switching this film on for someone and saying it's a beautiful romantic drama from Japan, mm -hmm. yeah. and just watching yeah. things change gradually throughout the film, and then go from zero to a hundred in the last yeah. twenty minutes. And that's and that's exactly why I can understand the reaction at Rotterdam uh, Film Festival. Like they didn't know they were watching a horror film; they're just watching this new film, yeah, audition, and then it takes that turn. Fucking hell, that must have been an experience. Um, but yeah, it's it's a true sign of genius filmmaking that he's able to do both here. And I feel like it has something to say as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. The whole casting couch idea thrown in there. Because that's technically what this is. Yeah. Realistically, that's yeah. what this is. But with marriage instead of sex. Um, which is even more fucked up, arguably. The fact that he he's auditioning for someone to spend the rest of their lives with him. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to it. Described yeah. by Quentin Tarantino as a true masterpiece if ever there was one. Uh, in a video discussing his many favourite films. Heavy... Quentin <laughs> Tarantino would know the company he kept around that time. Heavy metal musician and horror movie director, actor Rob Zombie admitted he found this movie to be the most creepy and unsettling of any horror films he's ever watched. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was slated at one point to get an English language American remake in the of 2000s course. when Asian horror remakes were oversaturating the market. Thankfully, negotiations fell through. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't. I'm surprised. Mm -hmm. um, before we get to uh, the section where we find out who's in the film, I actually have some 
interesting places where this film has been either referenced or cited as influences. Mm-hmm. Um, less surprising, Hostel, uh, The Loved Ones, American Mary. There's some very obvious uh, influences in it. Maybe even Antichrist. I haven't seen Antichrist, so I'm going to say it's not surprising. Um, but that's been cited as, a, as an influence. Um, more surprisingly, referenced in Michael McRomance's music video for Honey, this mirror isn't big enough for the two of us. The Departed. Oh. And more recently, Olivia Rodrigo's music video for Good For You. Yeah. Um, I didn't notice until you told me. And then it was like, oh, of course. Yeah. You know, I've got the gloves. Mm-hmm. You know, um, absolutely. And then the audition process at the beginning of the music uh-huh. video. And very much in keeping with the idea of Asami being a scorned woman yeah. seeking revenge. Mm-hmm. Something that's divided a lot of um, viewers of the film and critics. Um, we'll get into that by the end. But mm. it, it's it's in keeping with the idea of Asami getting revenge for women. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Are we ready? Ready for? Mm-hmm. Hey, I know you. Didn't learn it in Japanese. I did not learn it in Japanese, no, because we're going to struggle enough, and we have practice. We, we, you know, we are respectful. We have practice, but we're not perfect with the names in the film. So, if I'm going to destroy the names, then I'm not going to destroy the beautiful Japanese language. Mm, speak as for yourself, well. but anyway, <laughs> have you not? Have you not been practicing in your head? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know how to pronounce them all. Um, this is only our second Japanese film we covered on the podcast. Uh, again, something that is hopefully going to change soon enough because we have so many Japanese films to talk about. I fucking love Japanese cinema. So, Aihi Shina plays Asami Yamazaki. Um, Aihi Shina, if there was any justice in the film industry and if uh, foreign language films recognise more during award season... She would have easily been nominated for some awards because she is phenomenal in this. In her first role. In, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. That's crazy. I swear I read that this was her very first film role. Well, she was also in Sky High, Tokyo Gore Police, The Outrage, Eureka, Vampire Girls vs. Frankenstein Girl, How Driver, Meatball Machine, Kaduko, and more. Um, but yeah, she, she is fantastic for this. Uh, looks like she's going into a career of horror. Uh, good for her. B movie. Yeah. Know. Yeah. No. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Because she, it's her role that makes us so. It, it makes it morally ambiguous. This is probably one of the most morally ambiguous films ever made because her role makes you feel so sorry for her um, when she's first introduced. You know, when you think it's a romantic drama, um, but then the very first time that you see her. In her natural environment of of what she's really like, it's fucking terrifying, and she is so good. Yeah, it, it's a Jacqueline Hyde situation, yeah. isn't it? And uh, she's able to play both very well. Yeah, Ryo Ishibashi uh, plays Shigeharu Ayami. He was in the Grudge remake, War, Doctor White, Two Punks, American Yakuza, Parasite in Love. Masquerade Night, Melancholy, and more. Again, in another fantastic performance here. In And what's interesting with these two characters is the way they both start off sympathetic uh, and likeable. And then they both have the turning point 
where you kind of realize, okay, both of these have something about them that is, he's obviously really slimy, she's obviously really dangerous. Yeah. So it's, yeah, very interesting. And, and again, he, he delivers such a fantastic performance and makes it believable. Yeah, he does. He, because he, even when he's even when he's auditioning and everything, you know, he still tries his best to give across the nice guy act when it's like, oh my god, you are literally auditioning woman, uh, woman, woman, woman. You are you are literally auditioning women to marry you, like pretending it's an audition for a film. You're awful, but you're acting like such a nice guy still. It's, it's ridiculous. And I think that's where the ambiguity comes yeah. in for both yeah. characters. Um, for him, it's the fact that. He, it isn't apparent that he realises what he's doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. there, there's no moment where he doesn't think he's a good guy trying to find love. And indeed, finding love with someone that he feels he can save. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I see him as wanting to be a good guy. Yeah. But not going about it in the right way. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Jun Kunimura, who plays Yasuhisa Yoshikawa. Uh, he was in Kill Bill. Kate, The Wailing, Itchy the Killer, Midway, I Am Makimoto, Japan Stinks, People of Hope, oh, uh, The Witness, and more. Uh, kind of a, a smaller part in the film, but... Easily the slimiest character here because it's all his idea. It's all his fault. It is entirely his fault. Well, he is the film producer. Well, and that is why I think there's a lot of social it's commentary. It's definitely in this no accident that it's the film yeah. producer that comes up with the idea. Like, there's literally a scene where um, an actress gets her clothes off and says she's been in porn before, and he's like, oh, I'll keep her for a separate role. So, yeah. oh, okay, you're the one. You, you are the villain of the film. And he's the one who tells uh, Shigiharu to ditch her, basically. Well, yeah. When this it gets is... slightly... When it gets a bit weird. I mean, let's be honest. He's right. Yeah. But <laughs> his... his um, his reason for being right is that it's getting a bit too intense. Yeah, I mean, he's responsible for what I interpreted as some of the film's darkly comedic scenes now. Obviously, this is by no means a comedy. But there's some little things in here I'm like, oh my god, this is absolutely Takeshi Miike's sense of humour like, sneaking through. Mm. Like, the whole fact that he's there like, oh, okay, so um, can I take your references and such? And then none of them uh, match up. Like, one of them's missing. People have been murdered and everything. And the fact that he's telling our lead this and he's so blissfully in love with her that he's just ignoring it. It's kind of funny in, in a strange way. Or maybe that's just my strange sense of humour. There but... is something that he says is quite funny. And when we get into the the, the film itself and the audition itself, um, yeah. I'll let you know. Uh, finally, we have <laughs> Tetsu Sawaki, who plays Shigehiko Ayama. Uh, he was in Akuri... Uh, Miri, Borderline, Go Heat Man, Hush, Harmful Insect, Boogie Pop and Others from Northern Country, 2002 Last Words, and many more. Go Heat Man sounds great. I know, yeah. Uh, again, Isn't small... Mega, Mega Man boss. <laughs> well, maybe. Again, smaller role. Smaller role, but kind of integral to the plot. I, I think having this relationship there really sets up 
the situation that the lead is in and his life and everything. I, I've yeah, I think it's uh, it's more but integral. Yeah, it's it's him existing is an important part of character development yeah. for our main character. So and he does fine. He does well. You know, yes. does what he needs to do. It's time for our feature presentation. <laughs> So we get a very cold opening, um, jarringly cold opening, where mm. Ryoko dies in hospital with her husband, uh, Shigehiro. Ayoma by her side, just as their son, Shigehiko, arrives to see her with what looks like an arts and crafts project he made for her. And it's such an emotional scene that just immediately hits you. Like, even you've had no character development, you don't know who these people are. But it's so emotional with the way it's directed and written and acted. And yeah, just a great example of how much of a great filmmaker Mike is when he can start a film off like this and end it the way it does as well. Well, it's quite like, uh, melodramatic, yeah. in a sense. There's that filter, um, it's the kid, happy, greeting everyone coming down the hall. He's made whatever the hell he's made, got absolutely no idea. I think it's a volcano or something for his mum, just as she's dying. And it, there's not weeping or anything like that, but it is quite melodramatic. It's from the get-go, you know, our main character, Shigiharu, is a widower. We've seen his wife die. Mm -hmm. And so it's more effective, really. Because we didn't we didn't need their, all their story leading up to that moment. We don't get any. Um, but just seeing her die makes it feel a little more real. So we have that sympathy for yeah. him from the get-go. It makes for some great poetic filmmaking as well when we get to the final scene and how it ends mm. you know him and his son spoiler alert in the same room as a love interest dying but the two stories separating them couldn't be further apart i mean this is his wife who you know he's, he's obviously loved for many years got a kid with and then the other one is it's, it's yeah we'll get to it but yeah, no, I, I think that's the way those two shots come together from beginning and end. I, th I thought it was fantastic filmmaking. Yeah, it, it's a film that begins and ends with women dying. Yeah. Uh, many years later, we don't know how many specifically. Seven. Was it seven? Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Um, Shigeharu and Shigehiko are fishing together. They go home to eat the fish they caught and Shigehiko suggests that his father should find a new wife. Yeah, he suggests that he should find a new wife um, because he's looking worn out. Yeah. So he's looking tired. And if his very sullen washing up duties <laughs> are anything to go by, what they mean by worn out is he needs someone to uh, look after him. Yes. Let's, let's, let's be honest here. It's for someone to look after him. What I found... Um, quite funny when they're fishing, very rough seas, very, 
very foreboding rough seas mm -hmm. as they're uh, fishing is um his son says i prefer real girls to big fish <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's that kind of idea of um and it happens a few times in the film is kind of comparing women to animals or sort of inanimate objects mm -hmm. and it's from the get-go and it's something that as we see has been taught from father to son yeah. and it was probably taught to Shigeharu um, from his father and yeah. then his father so it deals very much with the idea of the patriarchal society and how that treats women mm -hmm. and how in Japanese culture, but also on a global scale, really, let's yeah. be honest, uh, the way women are treated in society, mm -hmm. he needs a wife because he's worn out, mm -hmm. not because he wants to give love and affection, not because he needs someone to love, because he's worn out. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, he's not lovelorn, he's not, it's, it's because he needs someone to look after him. Um, and also, you know, the idea of plenty more fish in the sea, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. It's like, well, you know, just throw your, yeah, fucking, what's it called? Your rod. Your rod. Throw your rod out there and uh, see what comes up. What lovely little fish mm. comes up. Yeah, no, I made a mistake. This, this film fully sets men up to be pigs uh, from this point onwards, which... But I don't think it necessarily judges them for it. Like I said earlier, Shigeharu, he he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't feel like he knows what he's doing. Which says a lot within itself. Like, the yeah. fact that he thinks that's normal and that's okay really says a lot about the society he's living in. Um, I feel like by the end, mm. he realises. But as it builds up, so when it comes down to it, he, by the end of the film, I think he does realise and he feels that guilt. Yeah. And he sort of imagines that guilt. It, it takes a physical form in front of him or, or an imaginative, really, because he's probably having some sort of uh, daydream or something. And we'll get to that when, yeah. when we get to that part. But for this part, I don't feel it. Like he thinks how him and his son talk about women how they treat women, mm. they don't see that as bad. Yeah. Because that's how women have been treated throughout history. Mm -hmm. Let, let's be fair. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, so Shigeharu's friend, Yasuhisa, a film producer, devises a mock casting audition at which young women audition for the part of Shigeharu's new wife. Uh, whilst Shigeharu is... Uh, in his car on the way home, he listens to a radio commercial for Tomorrow's Heroine. Uh, an ad that encourages women to apply for a role so they could be the next Julia Roberts or Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. I do think it was funny um, that they would do an audition like that. Seemingly very popular. So these aren't all actresses. They're, so the idea is that they're, uh, they're allowing members of the general public mm -hmm. to audition for the biggest role of this tomorrow's heroine. Mm -hmm. um, Shigiharu, he says, uh, am I meant to marry the lead? And uh, Yasuhisa says, 
Oh no, a girl of that talent won't marry you. No. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, you know, um, they were talking about the happiness. That we're, and I shouldn't laugh, but it was it was a good read. Um, <laughs> and they were talking about, you know, what it takes to be a good actress. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that, you know, he won't marry the lead because the, the lead will be too talented to marry him, but also too depressed. Yeah. And he won't want to marry her. Because unhappy girls have more to express as an actress. Um, yeah. Then, as he's going over all these audition essays, and I mean, they've made these women write essays yeah. about themselves uh-huh. for this audition process. They've taken a lot of time to write this shit out, these resumes. Basically a resume, isn't mm-hmm. it? Or a CV, as it's in the UK. Um, Shigiharu says it's as hard as choosing my first car. So again, yeah. he's comparing women to inanimate objects. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's as hard as choosing his first car. He's surprised it's as hard as choosing his first car. Yeah. This is choosing his future wife. Yeah. It should be much harder mm-hmm. than choosing yeah. your first wife. Yeah, uh, one particular CV catches his eye, uh, the CV of Asami Yamazaki, uh, and he's attracted to her apparent emotional depth. Yeah, his coffee spills on Asami's resume. Mm. It's as if by fate. Yeah. So th- some of this the film is left up to fate to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So he reads her resume and he's enchanted by it. Um, She says that to live is to approach death slowly. I'm paraphrasing, but it's essentially what she's saying. She hurt her hip when she was a ballet dancer. And ever since she's struggled and she just sees life as a very slow approach to death. Mm -hmm. And he finds that quite enamoring. Yeah. As an emotional death. Rather than... This is, you know, wow, you know, th- this woman probably needs some help, <laughs> you know, from from a, a trained professional. So, oh, she's got such emotional depth. And I think to a certain degree, he maybe feels that he could save her, mm. but also to a certain degree. And we'll see that uh, come a, a, across that in the film a few times. Can I ever save her, which is quite condescending, yes. or... She'll be easily manipulated. Oh, yeah. Because she's in such a low point and mm-hmm. a low place. You know, here's a beautiful woman, much younger than him, mm-hmm. by the way. The casting call was for 20 to 35 it year was, olds. Yeah. Much younger than him, um, but probably easily manipulated into marrying him and, you know, looking after him, looking after the house. He can get rid of his housekeeper. Doesn't have to pay her. He doesn't. He doesn't necessarily make this clear, but it's apparent that this. You know, when they say worn out, this is what they mean. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, Shigehiko brings a girl home, Masuzu, uh, and they eat his father's dinner. They do. She offers to cook him something, um, but he's taking Gangu the dog out for a walk. 
But before he leaves, he gives his son that cheeky Nando's hand of approval. He does. He does. Uh, uh, yeah, I see no... what I mean by this sort of behaviour yeah. being taught to generations of men. Yeah. I, I have no idea how else to describe it other than the cheeky Nando's. It's the cheeky, it's the... Uh... Yeah, they can't see you, Chris. Well, I thought if I did it, it would help me describe it. But yeah, and yeah, like you said, really. Is that not just the poker face? Well, yeah. Yeah. For the gays out there, it's poker face. Yeah. But it's yeah, it really does. It really does show the way they treat women, like the fact that, and the fact that she actually assumed that she should cook him something. That was very weird. That was very much like, oh, okay, so this is how women think they have to behave, and shocking that you know his son is the one who offered up his dinner mm -hmm. his son should be the one to replace the dinner but no one questioned why he said no but no one questioned why she was the one mm. who offered to cook in their house i found that very strange we get the audition montage with um plenty of queens yeah plenty of you know lovely women Again, played out like a light-hearted rom-com scene. Like exactly. the music and the way it's shot. And... Yeah. Very pleasant. The audition questions are very invasive, though, yeah. I thought, for mm -hmm. an acting audition. Yeah. Um, questions such as, what does your father do? Have you had loveless sex? Would you work in the sex industry? What kind of men do you hate? Mm. And I thought it was quite telling how the women, both actresses and amateurs alike you know women off the street mm -hmm. because of that uh, radio um commercial they're quite unfazed by yeah. these sorts of questions yeah. they just answer them mm -hmm. they're not like you know a, a few of them are bashful to a certain degree but none of them are offended that these are the questions for an acting audition mm -hmm. and i thought that was quite telling yeah very very on the nose considering 1999 what we would have been it, it would have been in that era of dimension films and harvey weinstein oh absolutely like oh i mean let's face before, it it's gone then, it's gone on throughout oh history but i mean you know that's been brought to light this yeah. is very much around that time. So very, very on the nose. But, I mean, this is, you know, the studio system. And I'm sure it wasn't just Hollywood. You know, it's it's going to be a story everywhere. These casting couch stories. You know, so it, it's... I, I definitely believe it's no mistake that these are the kinds of questions that... that you know, the screenwriter has chosen yeah. for this. Which is... And for them know, to be unfazed by it. In itself... That's a horror story. Mm. That's that's a horror film in itself. You know, the fact that men of power are using that as a way to get women um, and take advantage of them. You know, that's terrifying on its own. So the fact that this is played out like a rom-com scene, I believe is fully intentional, especially with where the story's going. When the so-called victim of the casting couch in this film turns out, you know... She is the complete opposite of a victim and she is fucking prepared to make him realise it's not okay in a very extreme way. Yeah. Yeah. To a certain degree. I agree with that. Well, what do you think? Well, I, I think that it's... By the end, there's a grey area. Mm. And I think this is kind of... 
I think she does end up punishing him for it. Yeah. But she takes it too far. Mm. And that's because of her history and yeah. her story. So I think there's, for me personally, sympathy to have had to have towards both characters mm. by the end of the film. But when we're looking at this in, you know, film land, fantasy land, it's, I think it's very much... I think there's an argument for it to be part of the good for her cinematic universe. Absolutely. I do agree with that. I do agree. Because I think Asami represents uh, a number of women. Yeah. Not just... I don't think it's like Asami represents women. Mm. But I think Asami is an amalgamation of lots of women. Yeah. And what's happened to them and their stories and her actions come from that place. Mm -hmm. I think for the audition process, as you said, you know, it could be played out like a comedy. Um, what's uncomfortable for us isn't uncomfortable for the characters. And I think that's the questions that are raised within this scene. It's like, why, mm. why are they not uncomfortable? That's what a thing to say. Um, Shigeharu goes on... Uh, Asami enters the room. Yeah. Uh, Shigeharu is just as enamoured with her in person as he was on paper, looking at her resume. He asks her about her hip injury, her ballet training, and how she thinks life is being a slow acceptance of death. Uh, he says, quite condescending, I thought, I could tell you take life very seriously. Um, to which... His producer friend says, an auditioner doesn't say things like that. And I think, but he asks if they've ever had loveless sex. Yeah. Which is that what I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. that actual, like, black comedy sexual yeah. that made me laugh. Uh-huh. Because, like, wait, he's not allowed to say that, which, it's weird that he said that, mm -hmm. but it's not really as, it, it's not more weird than you asking them about their sex lives. Mm -hmm. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he... Um, yeah, they, they, he has more of a conversation with her than he had with any of the other ones. He didn't speak yeah. to any of the other ones, but yeah. there's the connection there um, right away. It's obvious his mind's made up. Yeah. Um, Yasuhisa can't reach any of the references in Asami's resume, uh, such as a music producer she said she worked for who went missing. Uh, however, Shigeharu is so enthralled by her. He thinks she's so amazing. Uh, she is the moment, and he pursues her anyway. Yeah. Uh, the moment Yasuhisa reveals the music producer is missing, I think we get the real first inkling yes. that something is So, off. please excuse those sirens in the background. Why does this always happen? What kind of area do we live in? Um... <laughs> no, we, we live, I think we live near a hospital. Uh, we'll go with that. Um, the film's horror elements are actually... Is, I think it's a good time to mention this. We're actually meant to be a plot twist. That, mm. That's how it was intended. Yeah. Um, until then, you know, they would believe... The, the viewer would believe they're watching a romantic drama. Um, despite this being the intention, the marketing, even the posters, completely give away that this is a horror film, which has led to viewers who watch the film expecting horror to, and then being confused by the romantic drama setup. Yeah. Which is a shame because it is actually a fantastic poster out there. That just has a title and has the two of them having dinner together. Now that sort of poster, if it was marketed with that yeah. solely, you know, I think word getting around, I think this probably would have made even more money at the box office. 
Um, but I suppose yeah, but it isn't the idea of the word getting round spoiling it anyway. True, but then people are expecting that film, and I, I, it even threw me. I knew where it was going when I first watched it, but the first hour or so, first fifty minutes, should I say, um, threw me as well because okay, I really wasn't expecting this. I was expecting this extreme horror film and whatnot. So it kind of works both ways because. You know, if people were saying they were disappointed because of all the romantic drama stuff, it's because the hype was built up from the poster and the trailer and making them believe they're going to see this horror film. Whereas I kind of feel like if it was a drama and then people are like, oh shit, wait, where did that drama go? I feel like the word got around like that. I feel like it would have been a little more popular at the box office. It's, it's a difficult one because obviously also it's 1999. Yeah, it also depends how many cinemas it's released in. Yeah, it, you know. But let's face if, it. I, I mean, when did it premiere here? I believe it was the first Fright Fest. Fright so Fest, I think like two thousand. So I mean, the idea that it premiered at some uh, at Fright Fest, the name Fright mm. Fest. Yeah, you know, it kind of gives yeah. it away. So it's very interesting, and it's really cool that they would have you know that poster and they're advertising it like that. That kind of shit only really works opening weekend. Mm. Because by the time word of mouth gets around, mm. and if you're, if you're, it, it's weird because the question is, what's your target audience? Yeah. Because obviously your target audience is the horror people. Mm hmm You know, so you need that word of mouth to get around to the horror crowd, so they'll go watch it. Mm. Because the romantic drama crowd are going to be horrified. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to tell everyone they know how sickening the film was yeah. and not in a good way and how horrified they were and do not go see it. That's true. That's true. Also a romantic drama with an 18 certificate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it has got a cult following now and it is widely yeah, regarded yeah. by a lot of horror fans as, as one of the greatest horror films ever made. Uh, also considered to be the launching pad for torture porn. Yes, I can definitely see that. Yeah. I mean, the poster for Saw, what is it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. It's a fucking... <laughs> yeah. It's a foot, for fuck's sake. Um, Saw's great, obviously. The rest of the torture porn phase, no. Um, but it has no meaning. No, no, they completely misunderstand what made this and what made Saw, the first film, work so well. Um, and then by the time you know it, you know, you've got hostel. Um, yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. Anyway, Asami lives in an empty apartment uh, containing just a sack and a phone. Four days after the audition, she sits perfectly still next to the phone waiting for it to ring. Now, this is where I thought... This was a fantastic mix of dark comedy and horror because he is thinking he has found the perfect wife, perfect setup for this new life of his through this fucking slimy audition. And she is there looking fucking terrifying she next is. to this phone. She and is. I just found that so funny, but also really unsettling. Yeah, this really... It's definitely not a romantic drama now. No, this is when you know. 50 minutes into the film, yeah. uh, there's an hour left. And uh, there's a few scenes of um, Shigeharu trying to decide whether to call her or not. Um, I think that's where we see some of his guilty conscience sneaking through. Do maybe... you think that? Or do you think he's trying to 
manipulate her. I don't know. Why? It's a difficult yeah, one. Yeah, because the way I looked at it was, he's looking at the phone like he didn't know whether to call or not. Mm. I took that as him thinking, shit, maybe this isn't all right, because I actually really like her. But he's never expressed that no. previously. No. So I said, it, he's definitely, both characters, I think, and the film in general is a film where you can project your feelings onto it. To a certain degree. It can be interpreted yeah. in many ways. And a lot of the times when we interpret films, it's from our history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, that's why we have so many film critics. Yeah. Because everyone's opinion is different. Mm -hmm. Everyone comes from a different place to a film. Mm. And a really fucking good film, and I've said it time and time again, I'm sure you're fed up of hearing me say it on the podcast, a really good film allows you to do that. Yeah. It's layered and it's open open for interpretation. Mm -hmm. um, I personally think he's maybe being manipulative and doing that thing where I'm going to make her wait a while. Mm. She'll want it more if I make her wait. Potentially, yeah. I, yeah. Bet, I bet she's waiting for my call. I bet she's desperate for it. But she'll never phone me first. I'm mm. going to make her wait for it. And then she's really going to want it. And how fucking right was he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not to the degree that the truth happened I, to I, be. I feel like it's also interesting how they're both... They've both met each other through... Well, they, they, they're both setting these traps for each other. Yeah. They're both liars. He, yeah. He's set the trap up of the audition to get a new wife. She's set the trap up to fucking mutilate him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's... Which is a really interesting. Especially means, again, you know, we've got the whole... They've started off both sympathetic and both become, you know... You both see, you see a different side to both of them as it goes on. It's just the two extremes between both of them that really gives you something to think about. Because, I mean, what he does is disgusting. What she does is disgusting. Yeah, it's it's a lot to get your head around. Yeah, um, which it, again, you know, as you said, is a sign of a fantastic film. Yeah, and then they're, they're both liars. Yeah, they're both yeah. playing a role. Ironically, it turns out she actually is the best actress. Mm. Yeah, and she has, she does have, according to the producer, the best credentials mm -hmm. for being the actress for the role. Yeah. Because she is very damaged, very sad. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's a funny bit of irony there. The, you know, the producer, who is the sleaziest one in the yes. film, really. Yeah. It's all his idea. He's actually correct. Yeah. He is actually yeah. correct. Uh, apart from the fact that the best actress did want to date him in the end. But not for the reasons yeah. he thought. Which is hilarious because... You know, at this point, the producer has been built up to be this slime ball. Why the fuck would the audience want to believe anything he says? Yeah, he's a terrible yeah. character. Why would we want to believe him? And in, and there he is all along. But I think it's a funny bit of irony yeah. that what he said earlier in the film uh -huh. actually turns out to be true. Yeah. And that the most damaged one mm -hmm. did turn out to be the best yeah. actress. Such a good actress. She played, you know, um, Shigiharu for a fool. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, so she pretends that she never expected his call. Um, when she gets the phone call, one thing that really made me jump the first time I watched it, one of the most disturbing images in this film, despite what happens later on, is the sack in the background begins to fucking the roll around. moves. It's... Sinister smile on her face, and yeah. that sack starts to move. Mm -hmm. It's obvious that there's a human in there yeah. as well. Yeah. Honestly, no one does horror like Japanese filmmakers. No. They know how to make the scariest horror films. Yeah. Um, this is no exception. After several dates, she agrees to accompany him to a seaside hotel where Shigeharu intends to propose, propose marriage. Uh, at the hotel, she reveals burn scars on her body. Um, before having sex, Asami demands that Shigeharu pledges love to her and no one else. And of course, he agrees. Yeah, um, during their dates, I found Asami to be very passive. Yeah. Demure. And really just happy to have someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, Shigeharu seems to find this sadness and this sort of melancholy quite endearing. Mm -hmm. And like before, you know, I, I asked the question, is this because he feels sorry for her? Mm -hmm. Or because she'll be subservient and easy to manipulate? Yeah. Well, it's never expressed either way in the end. So again, you sort of bring your own history your interpretation of that um i was surprised that asami was the one to initiate the sexual relations um uh, when she undresses silently for bed while uh shigeharu talks about boring shit yeah. you know a lovely coffee shop um but she does just lie there rather stiffly in bed mm -hmm. so it's it's not you know ain't showgirls no she undresses so she's initiating but she leaves it to him mm -hmm. to make the first official move yeah um she explains her scars and and asking him to love her only and i thought it was quite manipulative mm -hmm. of her to be passive you know and this is very much in keeping with what we've we see a lot in stereotypes of Japanese women. Yeah. You know, especially in Western cinema of the, the Japanese woman being very demure, very passive, very quiet, very subservient. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought she was playing on this stereotype. She's been very passive. We know the truth now because we saw that fucking sack move. Yeah. We know the truth. But she's still playing this character mm -hmm. for him based off of stereotypes of women, of Japanese women in particular, stereotypes that him as a man and part of the um, patriarchy yeah. has been taught and is mm -hmm. teaching to his son. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's uh, a credit to the actress in general. Oh, she Sammy, does it wonderfully. Know? She really does. And it's and it, it, I was surprised that it didn't feel um, exploitative. Mm. You know, it, it's not like we get a full frontal or anything no. like that. Um, it's, it's obviously suggestive, but it, it's played, you know... Quite tenderly, actually. No, I, I truly Despite believe... us knowing the truth. Yeah, I, I, I truly believe this is a feminist film. And 
it's one one great example of how you know there are times where men can write women in films mm-hmm. and it'd be very respectful and very empowering um to counteract with the many times on this podcast where he said men shouldn't be writing women <laughs> it's yeah yeah in the morning, uh, Asami is nowhere to be found. So Shigeharu tries to track her down using her resume. But as uh, Yasuhisa warned, all of the contacts are dead ends. The dance studio, where she said she was trained, he finds a man with prosthetic feet in a very, very eerie shot. Um, the way the scene is lit is so creepy. Um, and it's just him at a piano. Um, bit of foreshadowing. Yes. Um, considering part of a piano and uh, prosthetic feet. Is that what it is? Piano wire, yeah. Is it actually? Yeah. Uh, the bar where she said she worked has been abandoned for a year following the murder and dismemberment of the owner. A passerby tells Shigeharu that the police found three extra fingers, an extra ear and an extra tongue when they recovered the body. So he has hallucinations of the body pieces on the floor. Uh, again, the lighting in this scene is fantastic. And I feel like the cinematography kind of indicates this is your full descent now. You're going into horror. This this is... Yeah. The romantic drama is fucking over. There's no more romance in this film. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's weird because this is the moment where we're saying, what the fuck are you doing? You mm-hmm. know, Shigiharu says to uh, Yasuhira... If he thinks he's a silly old fool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are a silly old yeah. fool. Stop. Stop whilst you're ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, Shigeharu gets angry and storms out. He's yeah. determined to find her. Um, He needs... I put very tastelessly that he needs another taste of that bomb pussy. He, he d- um, <laughs> but she's given him the chance. She is what's literally... The, what's the opposite version of dickmatized? But he's, the thing is, he's not, he's not necessarily, it's not necessarily the sex, but she's played her character so well yeah. that he really feels like he can save her yeah. or he, she needs him, mm-hmm. you know, that's how I feel. I feel like he thinks that she needs him and he needs her as well. Um yeah, it's it's a weird one though. Mm-hmm. It's very weird why he feels like he has to chase her. Yeah, she just gave him the chance here. He could have easily just gone on with his life. To to us, not really though, not really, because and this is going ahead. Slight spoiler alert: she enters his home. That's true. While That's true. all this is going on, he she enters his home. So it's it's d- despite him doing all this, and th- this is I think this is a um, sort of plot device mm. to get the history yeah. to a certain degree and to show us how enamoured he is with her. Mm-hmm. But she she is you know she's not leaving him. She's going behind his that's, back. That's true. She does. She's, she's, she's just getting going the to, tea from yeah. his house. She goes to his house. Um, did you, sorry, just the, the guy at the piano with the prosthetic yeah. feet, um, he asks Shigeharu about sleeping with Asami mm-hmm. and if he could smell her. And we get our first flashback of Asami as a child. Yeah. And uh, this sleazy old fucker, um, he brandishes Asami 
on the legs, causing mm. those scars. Yeah. So this is obviously showing us the abuse that Asami um, was the victim of yes. at this ballet school. And we're assuming physical and sexual mm -hmm. abuse happened at this primary school, at the hand, at, at the ballet school, at the hands of this yeah. sleazy guy. And we're assuming, hopefully, she's the one that cut off his feet. Yes. As a punishment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she goes to Shigahara's house, kills poor Gangu. I mean, that's uncalled for. That's uncalled for. Um, and the image we get to see of him later on is fucking horrible. Mm. We don't like dead dogs in films. No. This one is not for you. Um, and uh, finds a photo of his late wife, which she is fucking fuming about. So she drugs his drinks. Yeah, so... <sighs> Her thing is that he should love only yeah. her. Mm -hmm. Even his late wife. Yeah. Even his son. And she makes that clear later on. But she is enraged by this picture of his late wife. Which is where the kind of grey area comes in. Because we can be good for her mm -hmm. to a certain degree. But also this is, this is, you know, completely overboard. Yeah. Of course he still loves his dead wife. Yeah. It, 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 she died. They didn't divorce. She died. Mm -hmm. You know? So she's not always right no. in her actions. Absolutely. Uh, he comes home, pours a drink, and after a short while feels the effects of the drug to where we get a fucking bizarre series of events. A flashback that shows the sack in Sami's apartment containing a man who is missing both feet, his tongue, one ear... And three fingers on one hand. He crawls out um, in some really disturbing imagery and begs for food. Asami fucking vomits into a dog dish. Places it on the floor for him. Sticks his face in the vomit and eats it. Fun fact. Oh no, I don't want a fun fact. Dog bowl of vomit fed to uh, her prisoner is in fact... Supposedly, I, I believe this is a reliable source, the actual vomit of actress uh, Aishina. No, lies. Takeshi Miike claims that she is a method actress and insisted on doing this. No, bullshit. Bullshit. Apparently no. that is the, that's no. the truth. No, I hate vomiting. I hate vomiting in film. I hate it in real life. No, absolutely not. I do not believe that's true. That's not true. <laughs> it was chicken soup and that's it. It is a disgusting scene. It really is absolutely revolting. Um, I mean, I'm sure that the, the guy had it coming to him, uh, but fuck me, it is not pleasant to watch. Yeah, well, let's hope the actor <laughs> enjoyed his chicken soup and let's continue. I, it really, it makes me feel sick myself. Uh, Shigeharu collapses from the drug. Uh, Asami injects him with a paralytic agent that leaves his nerves alert. And tortures him with needles. Yeah, so he has a very... Um, within this sort of... The vomit scene and everything. He's having flashbacks or dreams or hallucinations. It's not really specified what's going on. But he's he's having these images. Um, flashback, kind of to the date with Asami, where she's recounting her really very sad life story mm -hmm. to Shigeharu. Um, 
he then sees his dead wife on the next table. She tells him not to marry Asami. Mm-hmm. Then it cuts to Asami in her apartment. She goes to give Shigeharu a blowy, mm-hmm. a blowjob, uh, desperate to please him. Yeah. Um, he's enjoying it. He's enjoying the idea that she's desperate to please him. And again, it's very much in keeping with the stereotypical view of Japanese women. Yeah. You know, um, she turns into Shigeharu's assistant, mm-hmm. uh, who we very briefly saw earlier, yeah. who told him that she was getting married. Um, she, still on her knees, explains that after they slept together once, she thought they could uh, be something. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that she was ghosted. Yeah. Ghosted her, rejected her without really telling her. So I feel like this is his guilty conscience. Mm -hmm. So this is where he's realising his behaviour. Yeah. um, And how it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And the way he's treated Asami and the way he's treated his assistant is coming back literally Mm -hmm. to haunt him in a hallucination. And that is the point and that is what is happening to him now and he's realising... Definitely too fucking late. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, he's getting a needle stuck into him. He is. We also get some other... I, I feel like this imagery, mm-hmm. this these hallucinations really bring together the themes of the film. Um, we get the sleazy ballet school teacher. Yeah. He doesn't get her name, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, he didn't deserve one. Uh, he returns and he gets his head cut off with mm-hmm. the wire. He does. While playing the he piano. does. Um, Asami says... Uh, men need women to support them or they'll wear themselves out. Mm-hmm. Again, being worn out. Had back yeah. earlier. You know, men need women to support them. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time when they used to say every man needed a great woman. Yeah. However the lyrics go. Um, <laughs> Shigeharu once again saying that his son suggested he get a wife he's worn out mm-hmm. i think it's all it's encompassing all of that now and this is his guilty conscience coming to the forefront yeah. and him realizing and us realizing oh yeah yeah he is a real pig you know and we felt sympathy for it mm-hmm. to a certain degree we did yeah and we're like oh yeah no he, he is he is a pig mm-hmm. it's true yeah which kind of it makes you question if this next segment is revenge porn for uh exactly for the setup um, that we've just had, showing what he's really like. Uh, Asami tells him that just like everyone else in her life, he has failed to love only her. She can't tolerate his feelings for anyone else, even his own son. So yeah, she inserts needles into the skin below his eyes, saying deeper continuously as she does so. Um, and then in what is some of the most disgustingly realistic looking practical effects I've ever seen in any film ever... Um, a scene that is fucking tough to watch. Mm. She cuts off his left foot uh, with a wire saw. Yeah, it it looks painfully realistic. Yeah. But also, there's only a few shots of it. I was surprised, whilst doing it for the podcast, I was mm. surprised how many times it cuts away to her just looking like she's having the time of her life whilst yeah. doing it. And that's that's a sign of good filmmaking. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it's fucking horrific. Um, she she has a lot to say during she does. this, doesn't she? She's her uh, passive, demure demeanor mm -hmm. um, from earlier in the film. It's gone. She's very much the aggressor now. Um, she says you bring a lot of girls to the audition, reject them, and then call them later for sex. Yeah, you are all the same. Mm -hmm. She says all words all words are lies. But pain doesn't lie. Yeah. When you're in pain, you see your own shape clearly. So this, I, I interpret as um, suggesting his hallucinations are his realizations yeah. of the pain that he's caused to other people. She says, only pain and suffering will help you realize who you are. So he's going through this now foot's been fucking chopped off he's going through a lot of pain yeah. with these needles and this is when he's realizing that the way that he has treated women isn't correct yeah. i mean the very extreme way uh -huh. of him learning his lesson um it's what i found interesting is that during uh, during this asami is taking great pleasure in sawing off Shigaharu's foot. Mm -hmm. Great pleasure. Yeah. We get flashbacks to the sleazy ballet teacher as he plays with himself mm -hmm. while watching young Asami. Yeah. And so she's getting great pleasure from this violent act and seeking her revenge for the way that men have treated mm. her. You know, um, Shigi, uh, Shigiharu isn't the worst man she's ever encountered no but she's taken revenge yeah and on the fact him. that she's using the piano wire as well yeah and he you know he was signed for the piano uh she's taken off shigaharu's uh leg like his, yeah. his foot whilst you know the ballet teacher as well she took his feet away as well yeah so it's it's definitely uh there's definitely some symbolism in there yeah and a, a, a I also found it interesting that Asami, in taking this great pleasure in physical pain, mm. Shigaharu seemed to enjoy learning of Asami's mental anguish. Yeah. He took pleasure from her mental pain. Mm -hmm. She's taken pleasure, uh, pleasure from his physical pain. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. an interesting dynamic yes. there. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Shigahiko returns home as Asami begins to cut off Shigaharu's other foot and she sneaks up on him with a spray. As she attacks him, uh, Shigaharu appears to suddenly wake up back in the hotel after he and Asami had sex. And his current ordeal seems to be only a nightmare. He proposes marriage and Asami accepts, but as he falls back asleep in the hotel, he returns to reality to find his son fighting Asami. Uh, who is brandishing a can of mace. Now, did you think... Oh my god, it was a dream all along. Um, It's a difficult one. Because I was hoping it wasn't. First time yeah. I watched it, I was like... Oh, okay, it's a little bit of a cop-out. Uh -huh. Like, all, all the sort of points that they're making kind of rendered pointless. Mm -hmm. By the, it was only a dream ending. Um, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why they would have that part. Unless it was just... A plot device to fall, you know, to mm. lure the viewer into a false sense of security. 
after such a shocking scene. I mean, I think it's fully intentional that mm. we see him get what he wanted. He, you know, he gets what he wanted with her saying yes to the proposal. She's got what she wanted. There's his foot gone. Maybe it's uh, a depiction of a kind of deluded mm -hmm. self-assurance that men yeah. tend to have. Well, yeah, I mean, the fact that she's cut his foot off, Me started on his other foot, and he's still dreaming about her saying yes to a proposal. Yeah, so it's kind of the situation where he's in this dream, mm -hmm. woken up, fully aware of what he believes to be a dream, which is him, the violent act against him. And he kind of turns over and he's like, oh, well, it's all's well that ends well, sort of thing. And he kind of hasn't learned his lesson mm. because he's just kind of like, oh, okay, that was just a terrible dream. Yeah. You know, my plan worked. I found a lovely wife. Mm -hmm. Can't wait for her to cook all my meals. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing mm -hmm. and that arrogant nature yeah. of men in power. Yeah. Um... Back in reality, though, Shigahiko kicks Asami down the stairs and breaks her neck. Shigahiro tells her son to call the police and stares at the dying Asami, who repeats what she said on one of their dates about her excitement on seeing him again. Yeah, I I feel like when she's repeating this old dialogue, mm. it all it reminded me almost of like you know when a robot a robot starts to malfunction mm -hmm. in a movie or a TV yeah. show and it just starts blurting out these catchphrases. Yeah. So I felt there was a bit of a robotic nature to her. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it was all a facade. Yeah. It was all just, you know, her acting and her you know, she I I, I feel like maybe she never actually had a true sense of who she mm -hmm. was. Because of the trauma that she'd been through. Yeah. She'd lost so much of herself mm -hmm. that she wasn't a real person anymore. Mm. That's what I got. She was like a shell of it, a human being. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm looking too much into it. That's how I got. And I yeah. felt quite a bit of sympathy for her at the end. Mm -hmm. Because of everything she'd been through, it was, it was kind of sad that she was the one to die. Yeah. Rather than they all maybe both went out in a blaze of glory mm -hmm. uh, or not glory. I mean, it ends with him staring at her. You know, he could have bled out. He could have. He could have. But she had the definitive. She yeah. did. Yeah. It was It was her. She was the one who was ultimately punished mm. for her wrongdoings. But maybe the punishment fit the crime. Yeah. Because her punishment was murder. Mm hmm So an eye for an eye. His pu his punishment mm -hmm. was maybe more, you know, you're a lech, you're a pig, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you deserve to die. Mm. Just lose a foot instead. Yeah. <laughs> Still seems a little harsh, but, you know, hopefully he's learned his lesson yeah. by the end. And that's audition. We get some nice upbeat music. We do. Over the we end get some credits. Very, music. very strange. No idea have... what song it is, but no, very strange to have such an upbeat song at the end of a very cold end to the film. You know, you don't cut five years later, 
and he's, you know, um, learning to use a wheelchair or, or you know, he's got mm -hmm. prosthetics or anything like that. Um, it's, yeah, very cold ending. And it's... then really upbeat pop yeah. music. Yeah, Se seems to be a pattern in Japanese horror. Um, it does, actually. That's true. It's a fair bit. Maybe they... I don't know if there's something to do with um, the charts over there or something. Like, mm -hmm. trying to get songs on the uh, the pop chart or something to help advertise the movie. <laughs> yes, that is cool classic horror masterpiece audition. Audition. Um, yeah. Fairly I... complex and... Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Thought-provoking. So open to interpretation. You know, I don't sit here saying that my interpretation is correct. Is the only way to mm -hmm. interpret it. That's just how I see the film. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those horror films that, over time, I feel, um, has become infamous due to one scene in particular yeah. and there's a few horror films out there i'm thinking the wicker man mm -hmm. is a great example of infamous films for one scene yeah. and i think that's understandable Anibaba. yeah absolutely i think it's understandable to a certain degree um but it's a oh, ring come on yeah uh, but it somewhat takes away from the interesting gender politics the yeah. film deals with yeah. um and i think the film it has been interpreted as both misogynistic and feminist, mm -hmm. with Asami being seen as either the crazy woman stereotype mm -hmm. or the avenging angel taking retribution for the wrongdoings of the male gender. Yeah. I personally can understand both sides of the argument and feel the film doesn't necessarily make a case for either. Asami and uh, Shigeharu are two characters with both clear faults but who also garner some level of sympathy. Yeah. Both of their actions, however extreme, can be seen as a reaction to the traditional patriarchal treatment on women in both Japanese and world culture. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I also think it depends how far you look into it. I mean, I feel like if you watch this film at face value, it could come across as misogynistic. Mm. Um, but I feel like when you really delve into it... Um, I really think this is meant as a feminist film. Um, I, I do, I do think so. I think that was the meaning. Yeah. But behind it. Yeah. And it definitely can be interpreted as that. I think Olivia Rodrigo had every right. Well, whoever directed that music video mm -hmm. had every right to use those yeah. references. You know, it, it's a again a tale as old as time. Fatal attraction. Yeah. It garners the same sort of discourse. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, yeah, it's open to interpretation. What isn't open to interpretation is how fucking fantastic the film is. That's true. I think it's just it's it's true. so well made, really well acted, yeah. very intense, um, and really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, get into the awards section. Biggest queen. I know she does some questionable things. Yeah. We love a multi-layered queen. <laughs> She shouldn't have killed the dog. She shouldn't have, She should not have killed the dog. Not sure why she didn't want him to love his dead wife anymore. Or his son. Uh, but, putting those things aside, Asami is the biggest queen for getting revenge for women um, in situations like hers. And showing Shigeharu that it's not okay to be a slime ball. Yes. She may have gone about it the wrong <laughs> way, but her heart was in the right place. 
just wanted to find She love. served a few looks yeah, as well. She did. She did serve a few looks. My favourite was the sort of um, pinky purpley fur collared coat. Mm-hmm. She was serving in that. So yeah, she does get biggest queen. Um, also, there's like no other women in the film. Well, I mean, there's uh, <laughs> Masuzu. I don't. I suppose his son in that scarf. Well, uh, um, biggest gasp. I mean, there's so much that can get this award. You know, it very nearly went to Man in the Sack and his first movement. But it is still going to Man in the Sack, but Man in the Sack for Dog Bowl Vomit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to forget that scene. My biggest gasp is the foot. Yeah. The foot. It has to be. <laughs> has to be the foot for me. Best dialogue. Um... This, I went with, uh, this wire can cut through flesh and bones easily. Just because of the delivery and Asami saying it with a massive smile on her face whilst holding piano wire about to cut this man's foot off. <laughs> Mine is the iconic delivery of Deeper. Yeah. When, uh, I, I, yeah. I don't know the Japanese, but... Kiri, 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 Kiri. Kiri, Kiri, Kiri. That's the one. Yeah, I did know that. Uh, Kiri, 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 Kiri. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's camp. I've got the Tomorrow's Heroine uh, radio ad that encourages people to be the next Julia Roberts or Audrey Hepburn with an honourable mention for Shigehiko's scarf collection. Yeah, that scarf was camp. Scarf gay. I suppose, yeah, I agree with you, but I also thought that um, that look that Asami gives in the, in the, uh, in the post, the one that's used in every Mm -hmm. single poster, that's quite camp. Yeah. Masterpiece, trash to be trash or basic. It's an easy masterpiece. Very much so. Definitely a masterpiece. And uh, I give it, for my ratings, I give it 10, vomit, 10 vomiting dog bowls out of 10. Ew. I gave it 10 pricks out of 10. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> oh, the pricks, needle pricks. Use of two needles. Um... Available on DVD, Blu-ray, Video On Demand, and the Arrow Player, if you want to check it out. And I recommend, if you enjoy this, check out Hard Candy. Not as good a film, mm. but it, it does something similar. It's, okay. the, it's the closest thing I can think of to I've film. never seen it. Um, I said, if you enjoyed this film, check out um, Itchy the Killer. Because if you can stomach the last scene of this film, mm, yeah. there's a lot to enjoy in Takashi Miike's filmography so if you enjoyed this and you know you could stomach it by the end mm-hmm. there's a lot to enjoy with the films of Takashi Miike Issue the Killer being maybe my favourite yeah um, I mean the same could be said for Visitor Q but arguably that's more extreme than this Visitor Q is yeah for me more extreme it's and less most extreme kind of yeah. less to it as well I mean at least this is plot driven <laughs> well yeah um so yeah let us know what you think of Audition we are Horrible Trash Driven on Facebook and Instagram Horrible Trash on Twitter I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else, and a rating on Spotify. We have so much to give you recently on this podcast. Friday, we're back with The Blob Original Versus Remake. Yay. Let's not forget that we'll also be talking about our highlights of the BFI London Film Festival on that same episode at the end. We will. 
And expect an, a rather extensive best and worst of the month as well. Emphasis on the best. Good gracious. It's, uh, it's We've been quite fantastic month. films this month. Next week, it's double episode week for the third week in a row. Fucking hell. Uh, on Monday, we will be releasing our Halloween bonus episodes where we will be talking about the film on everyone's lips right now. The highly divisive Halloween Ends. Halloween Ends. We won't spoil our feelings on it, but let's just say it might be different to a lot of other podcasts you've listened. Discussing Halloween Ends. We might share a different opinion. Um, and because we're releasing that on Monday, there'll be no new episode on Tuesday. Uh, instead, we'll be releasing the first of this year's Nasty November episodes, uh, Video Nasties Month. On Friday next week, when we'll be discussing The Evil Dead with special guest Tipsy Flicks. Yes, really looking forward Who, to that. We'll be bringing a special beer pairing along. Oh, nice. Um, so you'll get to hear a sip in a beer whilst listening to the episode. Well, I, I hope that's not true. <laughs> no, it's not true. Um, but we there will be a beer pairing. Yes. But either way, we'll... Um, <laughs> sipping or no sipping, we'll be back same time, same place on Friday. Bye. Bye.